This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 9th. This is episode 2805. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. And welcome back, Karen. On the second Tuesday of every month, Karen and Glenn or I, we we vary, get together and chat about all things endurance. And if you are a rider of something that's not endurance and think that this isn't for you, ah, you are so wrong. We talk about all (laughs) kinds of really cool topics that apply to anybody with a horse, right? Yes, definitely. And this is the part of the show at the very beginning. We we always catch up on Karen's latest adventures because Karen personally, as well as being an endurance rider, always has adventures. So what's been, <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> what's been well, going on now uh, for, for non-fans of the endurance episode? Uh, we're oh. going to cover first what's going on with Jovi, uh, who is one of your newer... Horses. Tell horses. us who Jovi is. Jovi, his name is Ben Jovi. His breeder apparently liked music. <laughs> and so she incorporated, incorporated his sire's name in with um, Jovi. So I've been calling him Little Joe. He's 14 two-hand CMK bred Arabian. He's a stocky little thing. I'd say he's I noticed about, he's looking pretty round. He's stocky. Yes, he's These horses are kind of built pretty ample or, you know, like I like to say, they're sturdy. He weighs probably about 900 pounds for 14.2. He's got actually bigger feet than even uh, my horse Bo had. Uh, um, So he's, you know, he's got nice, good solid bone on him and um and yeah i have cut down his groceries a little bit because <laughs> he's starting to get a little bit rounder than he needs to be um but part of that was because he uh had uh, this giant sarcoid pop up in his groin soon after i got him and so we've been dealing with that and it was a happy day last month when the darn thing finally came out and fell off <laughs> that's just bizarre yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so he's you fine, know, he's kind of been vacationing while all that was happening. He was, except that he didn't like me trying to put the uh, the salve on it to treat it, the drawing salve, and so he got really stubborn. He and so we've been dealing a little bit with that. I mean, by stubborn, he would like plant his feet and decide he wasn't going to move no matter what. Aww. So. So we had to work through a little bit of that. And now he's been getting to go on, you know, hikes out on the trail and walks around the neighborhood to 
meet all the other neighbors' horses and goats and sheep and whatever critters they've got. And I'm getting comfortable enough. I'm going to take them down to meet the ostriches soon. Ostriches. (laughs) Now that would be an adventure. Yes. I'm not not entirely sure that's a common thing. Thing for most horses to encounter. So um, now, are the ostriches comfortable with horses? Um, yeah, they live next door to someone that has a couple of horses. Okay, because sometimes it's not the horse that that initiates the flight response. Sometimes yeah. it's the other critter. Oh my god, I what's can... that outside my fence? Oh you sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So that'll, you know, so we're going to finally start making some progress with getting some conditioning in and a little bit more training. You know, he's starting to come around and and be more jovial. (laughs) Be more jovial. (laughs) So long term, where do you see Jovi being ready to go out and do an actual competition? What time, you know, time frame? I guess it just is going to depend how quickly everything heals up. He's still healing um, from where where the sarcoid came out. It kind of split open a bit. So, you know, that could take another month or two to heal before I can really get serious about conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then and then I imagine I can probably get him in good enough shape to at least do, you know, something in, an, you know, in another maybe three or four months after mm-hmm. that. It just depends, you know, on how he, you know, comes around with his recoveries and, you know, how his legs are handling it Mm -hmm. as far as, um, you know, the just the amount of workload and, and, um, you know, he's already seven, so he's going to probably come along a little bit quicker than if he was, you know, four or five. Mm -hmm. So, but we won't. We won't really know. The times I have worked him, his recoveries were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, because so. he, he was in work for a little while before he had to take his, his medical yeah, leave. I, yes, I had like a couple of good weeks on him. I was already riding him and doing arena lessons on him. And um, and then the other issue is in the, in the process of all of this, he got really barn sour. So... Um, I mean, it, it's probably been 20 years since I've had to deal with a Barnsour horse. It's hard when you have a long-term relationship with a horse or horses like you did. It's so hard emotionally to make a move into another animal that it's completely new and different because it it's like, no, you've, you, you've long since forgotten how hard it was when it all got started. Yeah, Right. And, and you definitely don't remember all of the work and time it took to get those other horses to where they were, you know, going back that many years. Um, but I did put a lot of time into those other horses to get them there. And then, you know, this one, it's like, we keep taking steps backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that that's one of the things we remember the least. We, we probably can recall that we had to go through a lot of steps, but those Uh important, short-term but no less infuriating backward steps. They blend into the background. The fact that when you had Bo in year, at 18 months after you got Bo, you had to spend a month and a half figuring out X, Y, or Z when you thought you'd had it worked out and then you had to go back to it. That stuff all disappears from your memory. Because in the reality, it is pretty short-term. And when you look at it from the 10 years 
later. Well, right? you know, and you know what else? As we've gotten older, so if I go back 20 years in my life, I was young and dumb. I just got on these horses and I had no fear. I just went out and rode them. I rode them past the dump and past the shooting range and the RV or the um, off-road vehicle park. And I mountain bikes, none of that. I didn't. It's just like, no, let's just go do it. I'm not afraid. Why would the horse be afraid? Why why should I even give it a second thought that these cattle running towards us are going to bother my horse? I just went on, got on and went and did it. And now I'm realizing, yeah, no, we need to take it a little bit more One step careful. at a time, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that applies to any rider. Uh-huh. That re- regardless of what you do or don't do with your horse, even if you're one of those people who we see more and more of these days, who doesn't necessarily even have a horse so he can sit on its back. A lot of more and more people have a horse so they can have a relationship with their horse, similar to the way somebody would have a relationship with a dog in that it's a family member that happens to live in the, in outdoors you know, you still have developed that relationship and, you know, hiking with your horse is becoming more and more popular and taking your horse to competitions where it's an in-hand competition is becoming more popular. Even those people that aren't going to sit on their back still have those issues. Yeah. And I do, you know, I do remember back, I did spend a lot of time doing arena work, groundwork, basic stuff like that, which I am doing. And, uh, you know, and he's, and he's doing pretty good. He's learning the voice commands and, you know, he comes when I call him. He's very friendly. So we're we're going to keep making some progress. Hopefully by next month's show, I'll be able to say, yeah, I've been, you know, riding him. And I have ridden him on the trail and he, and he does okay. But we've really now got to work on that barn sour thing. Yeah. And that's a hard yeah. one. That is a very you know, hard. Um, and you just, yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm taking them for long walks, you know, two and three and four miles uh, at a time. And it's definitely helping a lot. I watched some training videos on YouTube and, oh my gosh, my eyes just rolled back in my head. There's people on there with these flags on a stick and they're basically just hitting the horse with it going around. And and I'm like, how is that going to get a horse over being barn sour when you get him out on the trail, you know? Um, you know, so I'm just thinking, I just got to, you know, get him more comfortable with me, trusting me, doing, you know, regular work, whether it's groundwork or yeah, and walking him and around he's, he's the neighborhood. Kind of, he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder over on you right now with the whole sarcoid treatment. Yeah. He definitely does. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and then he gets out on the trail and he's like, oh, grass. <laughs> and then it, it's like he's drunk on you know eating grass and and it's like trying to get him to follow a single track trail we're still so you know I think anyone that's had kind of a younger horse on trying to teach them to follow a single track trail um you know just all of those little things you Mm -hmm. don't really remember that you did with your other horses 20 years ago or more so my my favorite when I have Nigel out uh on a single track we most of the single track that we have here that I ride on is single track because it's pretty wooded or pretty brushy. Uh-huh. And anytime a limb of any sort falls across the trail, people go around it. They don't like to walk over that limb. So there's that little subpath that goes around. Yeah. Mhm. As we're cruising along, I'm 
90% of the time I'm by myself. I tend to just hold the buckle and let him decide whether he wants to take the sub track or the main track. And it's so funny because about 20% of the time he can't make up his mind and he ends up walking <laughs> in between them. Because <laughs> I, can, I can literally feel him going left, right, left, right, left, right, yeah. left, right. And then yeah. he can't decide, just plows through the middle. <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and that's the fun thing. With every horse being different is some of them will choose well, and some don't. He doesn't and make this, good life decisions. It's jo- and this Jovi on life decisions. Well, not <laughs> not great, <laughs> not great. Because um, last week when I took him out on the trail, right after we had that atmospheric river storm go by, and so everything got really, really wet, he will walk directly right into a mud puddle, and then he sinks, and then he sinks a foot deep, and then acts all miffed about it. <laughs> What did you expect? Didn't your mother explain to you? <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, you could have went around or followed behind me, you know. So I've given him a couple of times to make his own choices. And when he makes those kinds of choices, sometimes, you know, you need to let him do it. So they learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so. if, if it's an unfamiliar puddle, perhaps choose going around. But, you know, if he, if he flunks out as an endurance horse, he could be an eventer. <laughs> he goes right through that water. And yes. uh, uh, also, I noticed that you got to go parading again. I did. We did the Nevada Day Parade, which was, we didn't get to do it last year because of the pandemic. So uh, it had a really good turnout. It's the biggest parade in the state. It so- celebrates, um, you know, Nevada becoming a state and uh, had a great turnout. We were in. Uh, Susan McCartney's group, anybody that's an endurance writer in um, most of the Western U.S., or even at the FEI rides, because she's also an FEI vet, knows her because she vets um, quite a few of the rides in the West region. And she's been doing her parading Arabians group for many, many, many years. And, um, and of course, there's a few of us since the last parade have lost our horses or, you know, don't have a horse to ride. So I said, I don't have a horse, but if you have a horse, I'll come ride. So she offered me up one of her old uh, retired endurance horses who's still being ridden, um, just not in actual AARC rides. And so I went and we rode in the parade and had a great time. The horse did really good. And afterwards, her husband came over and says, you know, out of all the horses we've got in the barn, and they have several, this is the one that always threw me off the most. Ah! <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> and, and he even has bucked off you know, his wife as well. And I said, oh, well, yeah, all he did with me was, you know, pull. He he likes to be on the bit a little bit because, you know, he, especially when he thinks he's getting close to being done or heading back to our trailer at the end, then he really wanted to go, you know. So, um, so I thought, well, gee, thanks for telling me afterwards. <laughs> wow. But no, the horse, you know, he's mellowed out and he was a very good boy. And so we had a really good ride. Wow. So, so. was the Nevada Day, the Nevada Day Parade, was that was show up in the morning and parade versus the Rose Bowl Parade where he had to show up, you know, and sleep in the streets? 
Yeah, no, we didn't have to show up till the morning. And we actually didn't get on the parade route till after 1130. Oh, my. Because it's a big parade. It's got a lot of entries. And uh, yeah, we were in the back two thirds, probably we were like entry 126. So we were kind of far back there. Um, Is that parade have a lot of horses in it or very few? Yes. Yeah, it has a good amount of horses. There's several different groups. The group in front of us was the Charos on the dancing horses. Oh. And so, um, and and we were lucky we didn't get stuck next to the musket shooters from Virginia City because they're really loud or, ah! you know, there's other, there's things, trust me, from, from doing parades, I have learned there are some groups you just don't really want to be near because then you know every minute or two you have to hear whether they're shooting guns or revving up engines or whatever they do it every you know minute or two down the whole parade route so um, we got pretty lucky this time we we didn't really have anything that was you know that annoying to us as riders But it was cool because, you know, you go through the parade and you see all sorts of people, you know, and uh, the kids just love seeing the horses. Yeah, that's always a big hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and for anyone that has an endurance horse, oh, my gosh, you can't you can't get better training than to teach them how to if they can get through parades. um, I'm sorry, if a horse can get through a parade, he's got training for anything. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, it's it's awesome training for a horse and it's just it's nice to have a horse that you can feel, you know, safe and confident on that um and I knew the horse I was riding had done several parades before. So I I was and I knew she wasn't going to put me on a horse that wasn't safe, you Even know, she does tends to buck and throw people off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More sounds like he did it more than once too. So, uh, but that was probably a while ago, you know. You know, and some of those, you know, the gal I bought um, Bo from, she told me that when she first got on him, he bucked her off, and that she went back to the basics training him. And then I found out years later from another friend that oh no, he bucked her off several times. Oh well, there you go. That's a good time so, to go back to basics, isn't it? You know, you know what though. So. Just because a horse starts out having, you know, that kind of a challenge doesn't mean that with the right kind of training and work and consistency that you can't correct it and turn them into a nice riding horse that's there safe. There you we know? go. So, well, speaking of yep. safe and useful, why don't we take a break here and get a hold of Kristen over at the Distance Depot and find out what she's got going on. Sounds good. Cut there. Hi, Kristen. It's Karen and Jennifer. Hi, Karen and Jennifer. Hey, Kristen, what you got going there at Distance Depot? Oh, we got all kinds of good things here. I want to talk about, I know, Karen, we, we said we were going to talk about a few winter riding things, correct? Uh-huh. Um, I've got something to say first, if you don't mind. We okay. do have, with some exciting news, three new beta colors. Um, Ooh, new <laughs> so colors. Tech, new colors, yes. Yeah, so we have a coral. Um, which is a real pretty coral, and a key lime beta, which is kind of a limey green, and, of course, the safety yellow, which is that highway yellow. But it's all done in the beta, so now you can have those new colors as the main color of your tack or as an accent color. You so know, I just want to get that out of the way. 
I've seen some of our HRN auditors have posted photos of their horses wearing their new nice pretty bridles and tack from the distance depot. Cool. Well, we always yeah. appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. So we do have lots of winter gear since we're all gearing up for that. Here it is in November already. Um, and we have lots of riding tights, if you will, um, in different weights. So you can check them out. Um, we have a, a power stretch knee patch, which is um, super flexible and comfy in the saddle, but it has soft fleece on the inside, wherein these things are like jammies. They're so soft and comfortable. Um, sit tight and warm, which helps um, keep the wind, rain, and snow, dirt, and mud off of you. That sort of repels that stuff. So super nice in the winter. Of course, we have wool socks and um, neck warmers by Carrots in cool horsey designs, and and their headbands are always super popular. And, of course, the socks, we have wool socks um, where the foot, whole whole sock is wool, and then also just like a boot sock where the foot is wool, and then the top is um, a little bit thinner to fit under your boots. So those are nice. And, of course, all kinds of um, new tops for the fall and winter season, new vests. And we even have a winter jacket by Carrots, which will keep you toasty warm. Um, the riding gloves that we have, um, we have the 10 below. That's always super popular for the really cold regions. But we have gloves right out to just a lightweight winter glove. They're polar fleece, um, super lightweight, and allows you to feel the reins and um, still keep your fingers from being chilly. So all kinds of different price points on the winter gloves and, of course, winter blankets for the horses, quarter sheets, and rump rugs, too, to keep those hind muscles warm for the cold starts of of your ride. Um, And then they draw up, so you can pull it up off of the hind end when it starts to warm up later in the day. Um, So some pretty nice, nice winter gear out there. Yes, I, I'm looking at this Muddy Creek waterproof. Oh yeah, yeah. Long raincoat. Mm-hmm. Those raincoats are awesome. So they will cover the whole, um, you know, your whole saddle and the rear end of your horse. So when you're out there and the weather is anything but nice, that is the raincoat to go to. And the hood is oversized too. Um, a lot of people will try this coat on and think it's super huge, but it's supposed to be big because, again, it's covering your whole saddle, the horse's rump, all the way down to your ankles so your mm-hmm. shoes aren't filling up with water, and the hood will pull over your helmet. Perfect. So beautiful jackets. Yeah, they're really nice. And we have a shorter version, too, for just around the barn, um, and, and some by, um, oh, what is that other company? We have different style raincoats. Um uh, I can't remember Outback, the name maybe? of the other one. Outback, yes. Thanks, Jen. I have one. <laughs> That's what I thought of it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, but they're super nice. And the Outback jackets are nice, too, because they're so lightweight. They'll pack up super easy and go into your saddlebags. In fact, um, a couple of them even fold up into their own backpack that you can wear. Or like I say, just fold it up really thinly and put it in your saddlebag. So super nice. And how would somebody get in touch with you? Well, they can visit us at www.thedistancedepot.com or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349.
Terrific. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. We as equestrians have a lot on our plates. In addition to careers and often kids, there's the myriad of details of managing your horse's life. Feeding schedule, vet records, and of course, what clothes to put on them. Well, guess what? There's an app for that, and it's called HorsePal. HorsePal has a robust range of horsekeeping features, plus Horseware's exclusive rug advisor. Using your local weather forecast and some seriously complex algorithms, it recommends what rugs your horse should be wearing. Plus, the small sensor that comes with it sits inside your horse's rug, continuously monitoring their temperature and measuring the humidity. By tracking all of your horse's data and saving it to your smartphone's app, you will be afforded the knowledge of your horse's comfort when to, and when to change your horse's rugs and keep accurate information. Check out the Horseware mobile and web application today by going to horsepal.com or you can go to horseware.com and click on the Horsepal app link at the bottom of the page. Horsepal.com or horseware.com. Our first guest this morning is Tammy LKM. She is an equine um, therapy worker. She uses um, her own unique method of therapy based on a system of assessment and therapy through fundamental planes of motion and tens tensegral balance. Okay, that's a word that's probably one syllable too big for me this morning. Um, and uh, she has spent years developing her application and study of the equine body. Good morning, Tammy. How are you, ladies? We're doing very well. How are you doing this morning? Are you getting rain I over there? I am great. Yes, it's raining. Well, uh, it's drizzling. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's let's just jump right on in. I know a lot of my friends you have used you to work on their horses, and you come really highly recommended. And one of the, I think, the first questions I want to know is, what is the most common ailment or issue that you run across in the endurance horses that you work on? Um, probably, I would just say sort of um, body fatigue sometimes. Um, so whole system kind of stiffness. But mainly endurance horses, you know, a lot of the Arabians can just keep going and they're tough. They're endurance horses for a reason. A lot of them seem to have quite retracted diaphragms. So I find a lot of them have those sucked in flanks, um, probably because they're working too hard and their hind end gets a little sloppy, just like us if we okay, go for long we're gonna, distances. We need to explain to me what a retracted diaphragm is. I've never heard those words together. <laughs> so <laughs> the diaphragm is connected to the sacrum through fascia and um, through other structures. And so as the sacrum moves in the pelvis, um, it moves in unison with the diaphragm because that is the core. The diaphragm is one of the core muscles. And people always think of the core as the abdominals, but it's not. It's the diaphragm and the pelvic floor muscles and the multifidus um, and the transverse abdominal. That is your actual core. And they kind of hold that all those structures together and they have to move in unison. And when we get tired, we start to get sloppy in our motion and horses are no different. And so um, the hind end musculature or the engine starts to get a little sloppy in its synchrony. So the muscles that have to change from side to side 
and they start to lock their lumbar, which affects the sacrum, which then affects the diaphragm. And so they start to kind of do shallower breathing um, and they get a little more contracted and the psoas get overworked and the psoas play a big part into that as well and get overworked. And a lot of times you see those endurance horses that have a flat ass and a little bit of a hump on their lumbar. That is a psoas that's overworked and a glute that's given up. (laughs) So just rebalancing that for horses, um, you know, when I've crewed at Tevis, that's the first thing I go for. Like, can we rebalance? all the players in that area so that they have better synchrony. Wow. Wow. Now, how long do you think it takes for a horse to end up in that kind of a situation like you just described? Um, There's a lot of factors that play into that. So um, correct training for the horse up to, you know, being in a uh, race how fit the rider is because how well the rider sits on the horse has a huge influence on, um, we essentially sit on their diaphragm, you know, and so how fit the rider is and how balanced they are on the horse's back has a huge, um, input into how well the horse can carry and how tired, um, their body is going to get. Um, you know, and a lot of it is correct training in terms of understanding how to sit correctly and how to allow the horse to follow through. Um, and so it, it's individual to each horse because just like each human, we could have similar symptoms, but the way we reach them is different or the reason we have them are different. And so I think it's the same for horses. You can't go, you know, oh, if you do this, then you're going to wind up here because every horse has a different route to the same issue or to similar issues. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So describe for us, for the listeners that don't know or are not familiar with the body work that you do a little bit about what it is you do. So, um, I studied lots of modalities and I did a lot of learning over the years and just touching horses. And I've kind of come up with this system that is basically addressing the tensegrity in the horse's body. So to put it in the simplest of terms, I look at the big shape. So what the outside of the body is doing and where it's dented in and where it's popping out and where it's too tight or too loose. And I try to, restore balance to the entire structure. How long does it usually take for you to work on a horse? Um, if it's the first time, sometimes it can take longer, anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, once I know the horse and I kind of know how they work and what happens, normally about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, okay. if, you know, nothing new has happened if the horse hasn't had any accidents or anything wow wow so i'm reading a little bit on your website about some of the stuff you do when you talk about craniosacral therapy uh, what is that craniosacral therapy is um is a therapy that kind of comes from osteopathy um Really, the father of that is Dr. John Upledger, and he created the Upledger Institute. 
Um, basically, it addresses the body through the nervous system and through the move it, movement of the cerebral spinal fluid from the cranial cavity, so from the brain down the spine and back up. And it uses that rhythm or that system to treat the body and find where there is dysfunction in the body. Okay, do you have any advice for anybody that's listening on um, what they can do to, um, you know, maybe um, prevent a little bit of um, the issues that, you know, that cause the most problems with our endurance horses? I think um, the most important thing I would say to any horse owner, um, I think endurance horses are better off than most horse owners because they spend more time with their horses. Um, they spend a lot of time in the saddle, and so they have a, a better connection. They, they know more what is normal for that horse. So I would say the most important thing is to acknowledge abnormal behavior. That is your first sign that mm-hmm. something's not right. Um, so really check in with your horse. Acknowledge stance. Uh, So any stance that's not normal, if the horse is standing somewhere different, standing in a different way, um, when you ride anything that feels a little funky that wasn't there yesterday, that is your first indication that there is a problem. Look at your horse's shape. If you put a grid on it, is it straight? You know, any sort of lateral bending or weird rotation Um, is an indication that they're compensating for something. So Mm -hmm. if your horse is really bent to one side, if you notice a longer leg, all those things, you know, when you notice them before there is pain or before there is dysfunction or pathology can really um, help you circumvent issues further down the line. So really paying attention, looking with your eyes and with your sort of keener observational skills as opposed to just going, oh, he's not lame, he looks great, let's go out and ride. So take a minute to really pay attention. Is anything different? That is our first sign that something is going on with horses. Because they hide so much, Mm -hmm. their behavior, like is anything different, is the first sign. You know, am I getting a face when I take out the saddle? That's a sign. Um, is the horse being difficult? Like, I can't catch the horse. That's a sign. Right. You know, we've all done that. Is there anything to them holding their tail to one side or the other? Yes. Okay. So, um, the horse's tail is a rudder, right? It is a rudder, and you wouldn't go on a boat that had a funky rudder. (laughs) And so when horses (laughs) hold their tail, she laughs. (laughs) <laughs> when you hold your tail out, when the horses hold their tail out to one side, is a compensation mechanism, and it generally has to do with a restricted sacrum. So if the sacrum is not functioning properly and the horse can't create hind-end balance in a correct way, they're going to hold their tail out to one side. Now, when you think about Arabians, that becomes a whole hot mess because they naturally have that curly tail, which some of that is just the way they are, Uh but after a while, if you still have a tail that quite obviously deviates to one side or another, that is a compensation mechanism. And, you know, again, that's a really easy sign. Like, my horse doesn't carry a soft tail, and my horse doesn't have a tail that sways in both directions. We have a problem, and if you address it early on through 
therapy, through rebalancing feet, through whatever it is that you feel is necessary, then you can circumvent, you know, whole issue, stifle issue, lumbar issues, sacroiliac issues. The tail is a really good indicator. That's good to know. Good to know. See? <laughs> <laughs> I I have a question because generally speaking, horses come into my, into my life in their second, third, fourth career. <laughs> mm-hmm. And most of the time, I don't have an accurate career history. So right, you have, when you have a horse that comes into your life, it's hard to say, it's hard to go, that's not normal for that horse because he doesn't come with the normal movement and habits of a completely sound, clean slate horse to begin with. So you get a horse that's already got a little bit of crooked in his sacrum, or he struggles a little bit with back soreness, or he's chronically stiff to the left, one of those things. As mm-hmm. a practitioner, you come to see this horse for the first time. How do you help mm-hmm. get to the root cause? Because it sounds to me like, okay, you have a horse that carries his tail to the side. Well, the problem isn't in his tail. The problem is no. <laughs> three or four or five steps back. Mm-hmm. How do you work backwards to find the root? Because you, if you don't address the root, addressing the leaves at the top of the tree aren't going to help. Is that making sense? Correct. No, you're absolutely correct. So um, it's a process that I call putting air in the bag. So all of us are contained in a fascial bag. That fascial bag gets set through repetitive motion, through what is available to the body, through neurological input. You know, we're all a little crooked. We're all a little twisted. And that is the, con- that is the container. And so it's a little like, you know, when you take your car to the auto body shop and you kind of want to pop out the dents and smooth out the wrinkles and put a little paste in just to fill in the holes. So when I meet a horse for the first time, I go, where is the dent? Where is the wrinkle? Where is the hole? How do I put air in the bag to create a more neutral bag so that things can float to where they should be or where they could be? And then you find out what your primary issue is. So there are steps. So when I first meet a horse, there are exercises that um, I do and I give the owner to do for their horse so that that fascial bag can find a more neutral spot. Um, And then very often I'll say to them, the horse is going to look a lot better, but you're going to find all of a sudden you're a little off on a hind or you've got a little funky stuff happening with one of the fronts or the horse is going to develop a little bit of a head tilt. That's when you find what is really causing a lot of the dysfunction that the horse is covering up through being crooked. So that process is going to be unique to each and every case? Generally, yes. I mean, there are bigger patterns. Putting air in the bag is uh, very much... um, you know, similar for most horses, there are little things there. There's sort of three or four major patterns. You know, if you have a right front dominant horse, if you have a left front dominant horse, um, if you have a horse that is so is so deep in the compensation that you can't figure out <laughs> what the predominant pattern is. So there are certain protocols to put air in the bag for these horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find out really what you're dealing with. So it really is about creating enough room for the body to find some neutrality and then find out 
what is driving a lot of that compensation. I have another question. Um, one of the things I've noticed with my various horses is, you know, they all have a side that they're, you know, that's their preference. How important mm-hmm. is it to make sure as we, you know, train and compete and condition our endurance horses to change diagonals? Okay. So <laughs> we work, is this a complex question? So I'll answer it in two parts. So okay. first of all, we all, the body tends to spiral in, to corkscrew in. And you're, if you're only working one diagonal, you're creating a shear in the body. So you're going to have one diagonal that's really strong and one that's just like a kickstand of a motorbike. It's just there to like hold the other side up. <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. doing anything. And that creates a lot of torque and rotation in the body and it creates a shear through the body and it creates a huge imbalance, which then leads to breakdown of things. So that's the first part. The other thing for people to think about, you know, when they're like, well, my horse been doing it for 10 years and it's just fine. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the next part to think about here, which is, um, we have, we all have a lateral frame. Okay. Uh, humans, all mammals do. And mammals, when they develop embryonically, they, um, at, I think it's like 10 weeks, I'm not sure, something like that. There is something called the Wolvian Ridge. And it's basically the sensory input ridge. And from that ridge come our ears, our eyes, our TMJ, all our limb buds, so hands and feet, or for horses, just feet, and our sex organs. Now, if you think about what all those things have in common, they're all sensory organs that put in sensation to allow for proprioception. So if you're only using half of that, you're going to be off balance permanently, right? Mm -hmm. And what do horses hate the most? To be off balance, because if they're off balance, they can go down. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a horse that's highly strung, if you return a lot of that lateral frame balance to it, you're going to calm it down. Because it'll feel more balanced. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully that sort of answers that for you. It's um, you know we they have four limbs and they should use all four limbs. They have four limbs because evolution dictated that that's the best way to move. So if we ignore two, we're not doing them any favors. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, you've you've properly blown my mind today, Doctor Tammy. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, I'm going to take the rest. Know, of, I'm going to take the rest of the week to digest all of this. Say. And uh, once again, where is your website again that people can find out more about you? Everything is on my Facebook page. So if you go to Tammy LKM Equine Bodywork, there is a link to my uh, web page. There is a link to Vimeo where there is anatomical stuff. There is a whole bunch of stuff on there that it's the easiest place to find things. Um, but otherwise it's, uh, LKM equine therapy or Tamara LKM equine Bodywork. All those will work if you plug them in. Okay. There we go. Thanks. Well, a thank lot, you. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Enjoy talking so to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. You ladies have a wonderful day. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Okay, endurance tip time because, again, I am a fledgling, permanently newbie 
when it comes to endurance. <laughs> and I actually, I actually prompted Karen for this one. So what is our endurance tip for the month? We're going to talk about right start strategy. Okay, we're going to start with what does an endurance ride start look like? Because I think it's unique <laughs> amongst all Horse equestrian disciplines. disciplines. Uh-huh. Well, you know, <clears throat> I've gosh, I've got I I'm sure 6 or 700 ride starts, maybe more. I'm not even sure. Um, but I can tell you they can vary by quite a lot. Um, I've had some where I wasn't sure I was going to live through them. Well, <laughs> uh, talk about for the most what part, actually happens. Well, the uh, they the usually the ride manager or somebody from the ride starts off taking everybody's names or numbers, and everybody starts mingling around, warming their horses up and getting ready, and then. You know, right at the start time, they tell you the trail's open and <clears throat> people go. So, so if you're entered in the 25-mile division, you will know well in advance that the 25-mile division starts at 8 a.m. You, so, you should, yes. Right. And generally speaking, if depending on the different distances, they start at their own time. So if you are... In a longer distance, like a hundred or a seventy-five or fifty, you're probably going to start earlier. Right. And then the the shorter distances will start a half hour or an hour later, and then that kind of helps keep things spread out so that the vet checks don't become so congested or backed right. up. So, um, in theory, as far, anyway, <laughs> as far as the starts are concerned, you will have little gangs of riders congregating in the general area of the start right. and this, there's no the which was that was something that was very very weird for me and it still is the kind start uh -huh. isn't a like in any in a in eventing cross country you start there's a little box there it's, it's neatly fenced in you know exactly where it's at starting uh -huh. in, a, in an endurance ride it's a little bit more vague because you might have 10 riders, you might have 30 riders all going at the same time. It's sort of a vague area right. of the ride. There's not really an official line or official flags. So that's the first thing you have to get through is the fact that it's just an area. So the next part be. is, since everybody in your division is starting together, there is some strategy involved in order to make your ride as, success, as successful and pleasant because if it's not pleasant, it's not successful as possible. <laughs> right. And you want your horse to maintain its uh, brain, you know, back on earth down here, you know, not go into orbit and get all wound up and excited and <clears throat> become difficult. And, um, or, you know, I mean, we've all seen riders get bucked off at the start and the horses take off and um, sometimes that leads to a chain reaction. So, you know, if you're new and your horse is new, you're going to want to avoid getting into that kind of situation. You know, so my advice is always you've got to learn to, you know, <clears throat> read the ride. You've got to go the day before and ask, ask existing riders that have done the ride or um, ride workers or ride management, ask them, where's the start? 
And when do I need to check in by? Because some of them require you to check in within 15 minutes or whatever of the actual start time. So that way you'll know if you need to go and give your number, if your start is at 7, that you need to be there by 7.15 to give your number. Um, You don't always need to actually start then. You can go and give your number and go back to your trailer or go hang out somewhere and try to keep your horse from seeing the start, especially if if it is a big ride with a lot of horses. Sometimes it's better to just keep your horse hidden on the other side of the trailer so they don't see the start. And then that way, when you go out, your horse will hopefully um, not be so jazzed up about it and can, you know, start in a more calm manner, which Mm -hmm. is what we all, you know, kind of want to do. Generically, and again, because endurance... Each ride, there are so many variables, way more than any other discipline I've ridden in, and I've ridden in a lot of different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Is it ever allowed that you have one of your crew check in for you at the start? Um, you can usually, they, you know, like as long as you're there within sight, you know, that your crew can go and point and say, you know, over there, that's Jennifer okay. and she's number whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, that's going to be fine. Again, I'm, you know. I'm asking these questions for personal use because I'm sorry, Nigel is not fooled by hiding him behind the horse trailer. <laughs> he knows when the start sure, is. <laughs> sure. You know, and that's it. Th- my, I remember when I was new and my friends would say, Oh, it takes six or seven rides till they calm down. And I'm like, I don't know horses they were riding because once mine did six or seven ride starts then they then they figured you know by then they had got it solidly figured out yes and they were definitely not going to be fooled nope. so um <laughs> you know sometimes it's better you know you can just lead them on foot and and go give your number and let the horse stand and watch everything because sometimes that's how they you know they learn they get to see everything mm-hmm. and it it soaks in. It's just like before when we talked about the benefit of getting your horse to do a parade, how if they can handle so much stuff going on, Mm -hmm. then, you know, then a ride starts not going to be quite so exciting, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and one of the things I've done in the past with a lot of my, when I have a new horse and I've had another experienced horse is I take the new one to the rides just to camp and hang out at the trailer so they get to experience that a few times and you know and if you if you aren't able to do that then you know look up locally and find events like poker rides or other kind of events going on like at your local fairgrounds or wherever and just take your horse up there and and let them learn to stand and and be tied to the trailer or Mm -hmm. um you know whatever containment system you use and let them get used to a lot of seeing a lot of different things in the commotion Mm -hmm. so that right starts aren't so exciting at least at least it's familiar this happens all the time right Mm -hmm. so if you have a when you when you get to the start let's say it's the opposite end of the scale and you have a horse who is really pretty darn quiet he doesn't mind that whole start thing are there reasons that the rider is new the horse doesn't have any issues as far as the start's concerned doesn't make him overly excited sure are there reasons why a newer rider might want to start at the beginning or the middle or the end Yes, and that also depends, you know, clearly on the horse's, uh, you know, training level and their conditioning. Um, You, the biggest mistake newbies make is they often will get caught up with other riders and other horses that are 
far more conditioned and prepared to be going at that pace and they get caught up and then they overdo it. And as we all know, once you overdo it, you can't go back. So, you know, that's kind of where you, you know, you need to kind of know your limitations a little bit on, you know, to know that, okay, I, I've been trotting for 10 minutes a little faster than I've ever trotted in on my conditioning rides. I need to back off and you need to, you know, have the um, self-awareness to know to do that before you've gone an hour and a half trotting at 12 miles an hour when you've only trained your horse to trot at eight because and that now can be, that can be hard because when they get amongst yeah. the competition even quiet horses are going to be yes. more forward oh for sure yes their brains like i said they go into orbit and you're left down there on earth um on a on this thousand pound animal with no brain <laughs> <laughs> and just because they are willing and uh, more they they're just because they're willing yes. to trot at that pace for longer than they would at home doesn't mean you should should say yeah that's okay it's, maybe you should well, yeah. say yep. no let's take a walk break yes the adrenaline kicks in mm-hmm. and um you know it, i always like to try to get in my own little pocket there you know where mm-hmm. i can maybe see some horses ahead about 10 minutes you know up on the mountain and there's no horses right behind me they're a couple minutes back or more and then we're kind of in our own little space and then the horse will settle in and and typically go at a pace that they're more comfortable with sometimes you have to rate them you know and that's a lot of work it takes a lot of effort so you know kind of figuring out ahead of time where you want to start where you want to be in the pack how you want to ride uh you know Sometimes even starting in the back doesn't work because you're always going to have, especially on a big ride, there's always going to be some riders that maybe are a little late or they've overslept or whatever. And so now they're hurrying to catch back up. So, uh, and I've had this happen a few times where they, uh, they start late and now they go zipping right on by you. And then there goes your nice, calm horse, you know, and, and, and I that guess happens. that's, that's where, getting to know how your horse reacts to different types of situations. How do, how does your horse react? And it has to be in a competition situation. It can't be in a putt-putt because they change magically when they get to competitions. Right. How, mm-hmm. how does your horse react to being passed? How does your horse yes. react to having horses behind him that he can't see, but he can hear and are not right. catching up? How does your horse yeah. react to seeing horses that are well ahead of him that he's not being allowed to catch. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And different horses react differently. You know, Chief, he never, whenever, if we were climbing a mountain, he could always hear the riders downhill from us chatting away, coming up behind him. And that was the thing he hated the most. That would get him amped up. He would be snorting and, oh my gosh, prancing, knees coming up to his chest and, you know, tail straight up in the air but he didn't care about the ones in front interesting so i've had different horses react different ways and sometimes you don't know until you get out there and do it but i i hope those that are listening are kind of putting together that you you know that there's so many things you can do in advance to work with your horse if you have friends hopefully that you can get together and ride with so you can practice some of these things ahead of time yeah. So your horse can learn to be separated and to be passed and 
you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, if all else fails if, and you realize your horse is going to be acting, you know, um, a little bit crazy at the start and wound up and hyper, it's okay to get off and lead them and walk. And um, I have started many, many rides with different horses with them spinning circles around me um, and walking them for the first half hour. Really? Or sometimes That's allowed. Even, Yes. Didn't yes. know that. Again, this is like lot. the fifth time my mind's been blown yes. this show. Yes. And you know, some ride managers may have a rule where you have to start mounted. It's just, I, you know, I Ask. can't recall that. I mean, <laughs> Tevis, you're going to want to start mounted because you're talking 200 horses. Yeah. Um, crushed. It, yeah. You, and you need to, you know, be able to move out. And if you're not ready for that, then you shouldn't, Maybe shouldn't be, at, be at that ride. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Start small. Um, Exactly. But yes, no, yeah. Starting out uh, walking in hand, that's perfectly allowed. You know, sometimes you can pull off to the side, you know, let the horses get out of sight. So your horse, you know, and they learn. I mean, my horse is all learned. Um, Karen is not going to get on and ride you and we're not going to go forward until I, you know, calm my, you know what, down. And they would start to calm down sooner and sooner and sooner. And then next thing you know, you've got a horse that just goes out nice and calm, starts trotting on loose rein. And then after he warms up on about 10 miles, then he becomes <laughs> maniac. <There we> <laughs> they always have, each horse has their own mile marker at which they either lose or gain brain cells. Yes, yes. exactly. And, uh, you know, and that's the cool thing with these horses. They learn to love what they do. So a lot of, like I said, with, I have said many times with chief with him, it was always about managing his brain. Mm -hmm. It was always about his brain, not his, not his physical metabolic conditioning, but his mental. (laughs) Right. Right. And I, yeah, each horse has their own balance Mm -hmm. there. And again, this is another one of those topics that applies to every discipline. Every horse has that balance of how much of the training and uh, how much of the management is mental and how much of it is physical. And mm-hmm. if you have mm-hmm. a show hunter, some show hunters, the physical part of his job comes to him pretty easily, but you have to man- manage his mental energy. Sometimes you have a barrel racer whose mental energy is perfect. He knows his job, but golly, it's a, it's a struggle to keep him physically sound. So that applies to all of them. And what the most successful teams are the ones that have figured out that balance and pay attention to it. They know where that balance is. They know how much attention they have to pay to that mental part. They have gotten the physical part figured out. We talked about a lot of that with our guests today. So thank you for the tip. Perfect. And it looks like we've got our next guest on the line, ride manager, Dana Tried, and she's the manager of the Cayuse Ride in California. Hi, Dana. It's Karen and Jennifer. Good morning, Karen and Jennifer. Good morning. We're here to talk to you about this new endurance ride in Pacific South in Southern California. Um, So uh, give us the rundown a little bit about the ride. Okay. I hear beeping in the back. Oh, it's my phone. Never mind. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Run down about the ride. Um, San Luis Obispo, and actually, I think we consider this central California rather than southern or northern California. 
but um, I have a group of friends. We're all active in endurance riding. I, I really think Debbie Lyon is in back of it all. She uh, started me out with an endurance riding. And of course, we all know she has many, many miles. But uh, one of the places that we ride is up here in Santa Margarita, California. It's um, The ride is this ride, December 11th. Is The location is very close to the Los Padres ride that um, the duck would put on in the spring. And mm-hmm. I manage an incredible ranch less than two miles from where I live. The landowner has given me permission to allow camping on the ranch and use of the trails. So the name of the ranch is Cayuse, hence the name of the ride. And the Cayuse Ranch butts up against Santa Margarita County Lake Park. And so Loop 1 of the ride, which is approximately 30 miles, will be on park land. And Loop 2 will be on private land with, once again, the camping at Cayuse Ranch. Okay. Uh, the most, most of the terrain is, is Jeep trails. Should we continue this ride? I definitely want to use more trails, but because this is the first ride I've put on, it made sense for me to use what was already there. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. The footing is really good. There, there are some rocky areas, but for the most part, um, I ride both my horses barefoot, and they do just fine. So uh, the Loop 1, once again, is heads out along Santa Margarita Lake, almost to the dam. And there will be a turnaround there. And now, is, there is there water in the lake? There is water in the lake, believe okay. it or not. And... Uh, Debbie and I put our heads together and we've come up with some very clever ways to bring water to a couple of other checkpoints. I put out a message on Facebook and I found a local woman who will take us over in her pontoon boat with (laughs) with 25-gallon tubs and buckets and, excuse me, we will actually be taking water out of the lake and putting it into the tub at a point where we feel water is needed for horses. Oh, okay. So, rather labor intensive, but I know from my own riding that many horses are leery of walking down to a lake's edge. And because this is a drinking facility in San Luis Obispo, I think the park would frown on that. Sure. So are you having to make any kind of accommodations because of the pandemic? Well, we're outdoor camping. Uh, The one accommodation I did make is uh, my original design of the ride was to include uh, entree, dinner, and potluck. And I decided (laughs) because the pandemic has gone on and on and on Uh that I would reduce the ride fee by $25 and no longer offer the idea of an entree. So um, my idea is that people will be eating in their own 
camp facility. So do you have any kind of limit on the number of entries? No, I don't. Um, Debbie Lyon has been a great mentor because, of course, she puts on the Montana Dora ride. And um, her experience is that we don't reach those numbers. Her ride is limited. This one is not. Right now, I have about 30 entries, and there's plenty of parking. I anticipate 50 entries. Mm-hmm. I do need 40 entries to break even on the ride. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. another another 20 people would be great. Right. And, and I know you're, you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to be at the mercy of the weather too. Absolutely. Uh, my, my husband is my forecaster. And right now we have a little bit of very light rain here today, but um, two weeks out anyway, it looks dry and a small amount of rain will be <clears throat> fine. If we get a torrential downpour, then unfortunately we would need to cancel or postpone the ride. Well, let's hope that you have blue skies and good weather that week. (laughs) That's right. Hey, the other thing I want to bring up, I don't know if uh, people have heard about the Central Coast Triple Crown. And once again, this is Debbie Lyon's very clever idea, because we now will have three rides in San Luis Obispo County. We We have the Cayuse ride, which is coming up in December. Then we have the Wasna ride on April 9th and 10th. That's the two-day ride. And the Montana de Oro ride on June 4th. So the idea is that uh, a person would pay a $10 fee, um, at least by December 10th, and then they must complete either the LB or the, the inverse ride or any combination of those distances on the same course same rider for all three rides. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then well, there will be uh, prizes. That's always so a we're fun excited goal. about that. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Good. Okay. So and they, I s- let me mention your website. It's cayuseranchca.com for people that want to go and look it up. Um, they have a lot of great photos. You can see there's wildlife, there's cattle, oak trees, um, it looks like a really nice ride. Yes, it, it should be beautiful. And the last thing I want to mention is this is a fundraiser for Central Coast Heritage Trees, which is helping to protect and preserve those 100-plus-year-old oak trees in our area and plant new ones. So people coming to the ride will see the projects we've been involved in caring for the oak trees on the property. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this morning, Dana, and I wish you well and and good luck for the weather and, and for all your riders. Thank you so much. And let's hear from, hear about a little bit what's going on with Renegade, because I know your horses wear renegade hoof boots did you have to get all sets of new boots with the new horses well yes and no um some did fit but yeah the new guy jovi he's got these big feet for his size they are bigger than any of the size two boots that i had been using 
Um, so I um, actually I switched him over to the Viper model, which fits him really well. And so I had to go up to like I think they're one forties by one forties. Yeah. So uh, which is a pretty good That's size. That's a pretty good for- size boot. That's what my my horse who is sixteen two okay. is one forty three. Uh- so, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I've, um, as I recommend with anybody using hoof boots and, or, you know, renegades in particular, you want to get your horse used to using them in an arena first, you, you know, no crazy stuff. Don't just turn them out and let them run around and gallop because, uh, you know, till they learn and get comfortable in the boots, if they happen to twist or come off, that could cause a, um, you know, the horse go a little bit you know bonkers and and then they might get hurt or the boots might get damaged and you don't want to do that so just like with anything you know consider boot training on the equivalent of getting your horse trained to use you know a a new saddle or tack or anything like that so you want to spend some time getting the horse um you know once you get your boots fitted properly getting the horse used to using the boots um doing with just some walking, light trotting, and that sort of thing, and build your way up to using them. Um, I've been using Renegades for, gosh, over a decade. I have, um, gosh, so many miles in them. I've done, you know, every kind of distance from multi-days to hundreds, lots of training rides in them. The thing I like about them is that they are made in the United States and they will do a great job of helping customize the fit for you. You can order them cut back. You know, there's lots of other modifications they can do for you at the factory or help you out with if you need to um, fit a a little bit more challenging uh, foot, you know, to being able to use their boots. Like with um, my um, Anglo-Arab Apollo, he works in a combination of the regular Renegade uh, Captivator on the part that goes over his heel and then the base of the boot is the viper um, because that fits the shape of his foot the best while the um the renegade captivator fits his heel the best and that's been a really good combination for him so for anybody interested in renegades you can go to renegadehoofboot.com there we go well this coming ride season is going to be AERC's 50th anniversary and they are back having the convention this year in person. Yay! At the, yay at the Nugget Casino in Sparks, Nevada, March 4th and 5th. And as their tagline says, it's the AERC convention is the most fun you can have without your horse. <laughs> to- Two days of informative and thought-provoking seminars, shopping galore, seeing old friends and meeting new ones. There will be awards presentations, hot topics, seminars, and a fun Friday night dance where you can dress up in your best 1970s costume. And on Saturday night is the National Awards Banquet. So if you want to learn more about that, go to AERC.org. And thank you for listening today. That wraps it up. Uh, all of these show notes and links to our guests today is go- are going to be at horsesinthemorning.com. If you put in their episode number 2805, just go to the top right-hand corner. There's a search bar. Just put 2805. It'll be a lot easier to find this episode if you're listening in 2025. Thank, thank you and listen- <laughs> for listening and welcome to the past. And we'll see you again next month on the second Tuesday. Sounds good. Everybody wear your helmets and stay safe out there.